Condon. Welcome back. Hour number two, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Trent Condon, Ken Miller with you here up until noon, 25 minutes, 20 minutes. Closer to that, Zuba Mahente, our friend from ESPN, will join us. We will go around the world of sports uh, with Zubin as we do each and every Tuesday. Uh, hopefully, Cody Goodwin will find some time to help us out with what's going on with the Des Moines Public Schools. Will they or won't they now that they have a plan in place? That in a second. Uh, Nick Mick, NCMIC, asked us to promote the local farmer's market in the area. Uh, you just heard a spot for the Johnson Farmer's Market. Uh, these ones got to be wrapping up here. I would think in the next couple of weeks. But Beaverdale, they are open tonight from 4 until 7.30. That's at Franklin Middle School, 48th and Franklin. Beaverdale goes tonight from 4 until 7.30. And as Trent mentioned, the Farmer's Market in Johnston. That's at the Simpson Barn, 6169 North Glen Drive in Johnson. Nick Mick, NCMIC, sponsors these Farmer's Markets updates uh, that you hear each and every day. Well, the Des Moines Public Schools, they had a lengthy meeting last night. There is a plan to go uh, to begin a hybrid program starting on the 10th of November, but with the football calendar uh, ending where it does in cross country and all of the uh, fall sports that have had to been shelved at least for the time being what if anything does that mean cody goodwin from the register joins us uh with the latest cody trent ken thank you for coming on um i guess as you paid very close attention to the des moines public school board meeting last night uh there's a plan in place what does this mean for extracurricular activities if anything cody good to talk to you and what have you heard yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me. And it's um, I, it's still a very sticky situation. I mean, it sounds like the MPS is trending toward a hybrid model. Um, you know, it sounds like they're going to, you know, the plan, at least that they maybe discussed last night, was to phase it in starting with the lower grades. So they would start with, you know, preschool, kindergarten, work their way through elementary school, and then eventually make their way up to middle school and high school. Um, the hybrid brand, uh, hybrid plan, excuse me, the way I understand it, sounds like it's, you know, a couple days in the buildings, one week, um, and then the next week, it's three days, so you kind of alternate there, almost like an every other day type of thing. And, um, you know, nothing is set in stone. It's still, it sounds like a lot of last night was just a lot of, um, you know, proposals. What what are things that we, we think can work? What are things that we want to do? Um, pretty lengthy meeting, um, if I'm, you know, reading the story correctly. We had a couple of different um, reporters kind of on that last night. And, um, I, you know, the, the large takeaway is that, you know, if, if they want to stick to the timeline that they're on, though, as, as it pertains to activities and athletics, it does not sound like that there's going to, you know, it doesn't sound like they're going to return for football or cross country or volleyball or, mm. um, you know, they do class 4A boys golf in the fall as well. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of swimming as well, girls swimming. Um, you know, if, if they want to stick to this timeline that they're proposing and that's, you know, getting at least 50 percent in the building by early November, I mean, that basically wipes out fall sports and so then you'd start looking toward winter sports basketball wrestling uh boys swimming um and so that's that's at least how i am understanding it as of now it doesn't sound like anything is set in concrete stone but that was at least part of the proposals that they were talking about last night i know cody there is some hope out there right now at least by family members parents and of course the players for these fall sports that Ahart now, the superintendent, that they do have the plan in place that he will go to the governor and to, uh, to the Department of Education and ask them, all right, we do have the hybrid plan in place, 
can we allow extracurriculars to happen? That would be the hope. But in order for that to happen, you also have to get, get the thumbs up from the side of the government and the Department of Education. It's been very contentious, as you know. I find it hard to believe that they would get the thumbs up. Have you heard anything on that front? No, I mean, it sounds like they, they need to they need to meet that 50% rule first before they can do that. First. Um, you know, and and that's yeah, that's the problem here with this, maybe this phased-in approach that they're wanna, they want to do, you know, at least as it pertains to athletics and, and activities. I mean, we can discuss, you know, whether or not it's the right thing to do in DMPS compared to all the other school districts around the state from an education standpoint, whether or not these kids need to be in the building just, just to learn and, and for all these other reasons. But as it pertains to athletics and, and activities, I, they need to hit that 50% before they can go back and even practice. Um, you know, I know a lot of these athletes in various other sports um, are kind of working out on their own, um, you know, because it doesn't sound like that there can be any in-person contact between the coaches and the athletes. Um, you know, I'm sure there's various Zoom meetings going on and, and people are trying to find their way to navigate it as best they can. And, um, you know, I'm sure one thing you guys have discussed over the last week is that, you know, there's a lot of kids from all these DMPS schools that are exploring options and even transferring out in attempts to continue their seasons in whatever sports they want to do. So I, it's, it, it's, it's a really messy, sticky situation, um, you know, depending on what angle you want to take on it. I don't know that there is a correct answer for everybody involved. Um, which is what makes it all the more harder because it just it, it doesn't seem like anybody is winning out of this scenario, which is the most frustrating part. Uh, we know Arlen Bruce hasn't been winning so far. Um, what, what's the latest there? I thought I saw that there was one, I don't know if it's a last-ditch uh, appeal that's been filed, but something was done yesterday. Do you know what that was, uh, Cody? Yeah, so they are they are taking it straight to the Department of Education now, a final eligibility appeal, um, you know, because they, they, they haven't gotten anywhere with the Iowa High School Athletic Association. They've tried twice. They've tried for injunctions, and those have not been able to go through. Um, so they're just going to the source. They're going straight to the Department of Education to see what they can do about it. And, you know, maybe we see them this Friday. Maybe we don't see them at all. I don't know. That's, mm. I, which would be really frustrating if you're Ankeny. It'd be really frustrating if you're an Iowa high school football fan because, you know, we, we hear all this talk and we see all these numbers and we know how talented this kid is. Obviously, he's going to go play Division One football. And then, right. you know, for them to go through the entire trouble of moving up here so that he can play and then not get that opportunity, that would just kind of suck. So, um, this seems like a last ditch effort. Uh, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. I, you know, I, your guess is as good as mine at this point. But things don't seem to be trending in his favor, unfortunately. And one of the things I read, Cody, is is one of the the um, I guess one of the uh, talking points for the high school athletic association is the fact that they have two houses, that they still have two homes, meaning they didn't get rid of their home wherever. I mean, he's from Kansas, right? Um, but they they, and I, I have to assume that. All of the transfers, or the majority of the transfers, their parents still have the home from where they came. What it almost seems like there's two sets of rules here. Is that how you read it, or am I reading something into it that simply isn't there? They, I mean, they're taking this case by case basis, and in the case of Arlen Bruce, yeah, he's. I mean, he's got younger siblings that are still down in the Olathe area, which is just south of Kansas City, in, in the greater metro area on the Kansas side. Um, you know, I, I, his mom signed away parental rights to, um, their uncle. Um, so she's not technically their guardian so that he could come up so that she could come up with Arlen Bruce and live with him in Ankeny. Um, but I guess they, you know, the Iowa High School Athletic Association is still stuck on the fact that she does make trips back and forth, even though she spends the majority of her time in Ankeny with Arlen Bruce. Um, 
I, I, that, it sounds like that's the big thing as to what they don't like. I mean, some of these transfers, I, I can't speak to every living situation, but, you know, we know that, you know, Landon Nelson, the cornerback from California, they made the full move, actually, because his older sister, I believe, goes to Iowa State. Um, Jake Rubley, the quarterback for Valley, they made the full move. I mean, we know about his dad's history, uh, TJ Rubley, uh, former Davenport star. So they're, they're relatively familiar with, with the state and the, and I'm sure the area by now. Um, you know, I can't speak for everybody else. I know that, you know, I was at the Southeast Polk Valley game on Friday and I don't believe Sean O'Hara has seen, uh, has played either. And he was one of the transfers that came in from Illinois, but, um, you know, one of his teammates from Nazareth in Illinois, um, you know, Isaiah Emanuel, I mean, he played last Friday and he had some tremendous plays, Trent, as you saw yes. there. So I, you know, I, I don't know what the, it, it just, it seems like they're going case by case and, and some guys are checking all the boxes and some aren't for whatever reason, at least in the eyes of the association, which, um, you know, you wonder with it, with this such a unique season, right? You wonder why maybe they aren't a little bit more lenient, but mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, they are, those are their rules. And, um, you know, I do give them a little credit for sticking by them. Dale Stout, who's at Waukee, he was a teammate of Arlen Bruce last year in high school. He's playing for the Warriors. Arlen Bruce is not able to play for Ankeny, and you get into a very delicate situation. Uh, there was a report by your colleague there at the Register, Matthew Bain, that the Rubleys still own their home in Colorado. Yes, they have residency here, but they still own that home in Colorado. It very much feels like, well, if you have the money to go out there and actually buy two houses, you're okay, but if you have to rent, it's not good. It's not a good look on the surface for the association when it looks like that on paper. No, and it just seems like they're kind of picking and choosing where they want to dig their feet in. Yes. Um, you know, again, I give them a little bit of credit for maybe sticking by their rules, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, are we certain that every single transfer that came in from some of these other states, Illinois, Missouri, Kansas, that, um, you know, are, are we sure that they all established residences and bought houses? Some of them I'm sure did, but I, you know, I, it, it, it's, it's hard because one, I mean, we don't know everybody's individual living situation, nor do they need to share that with us, but, um, you know, it seems like by the book, at least, um, Arlen Bruce has done everything right to move up here to, you know, he's taking classes at Ankeny, like he's in that building whenever he needs to be in the building, he's there at practice. And just for whatever reason, they're not allowing him to play on Friday nights. And, and that's, that's frustrating from a number of different levels. Um, so I, you wonder what, you know, what is it about his particular situation or Sean O'Hara's particular situation that isn't checking all the boxes? Cause it seems like every other transfer has. Interesting. It's not like fast times at Ridgemont high where they just fly Jefferson in for the game here. This is Arlen Bruce going to high school. Let's hope we can resolve this and figure it out just for the young man to be able to play. Cause how many weeks are left? Four, three, three, three. Jesus. Unbelievable. So, well, that, that's another thing. Everybody makes the playoffs. So is there a drop dead? Have you talked to any of the city school coaches, uh, Cody, like, uh, like Coach Moore or any of them? You know, how long they need, if they get the green light, could they, you know, wait for, I mean, how long would it be before they could uh, return to play? So as far as I understand it, as soon as the DMPS meets that 50% um, guideline, they are clear to begin right away. Um, and so that was, I believe that was the case with Iowa city. I know that they had, um, you know, the Iowa city community school district, they had, they were online fully for two weeks. Um, then they got a two week extension, but their two weeks is done Saturday. So we could potentially see all the Iowa city schools, all their athletics play. I know, I think there's a volleyball tournament that they play that Saturday. So they're just going to dive right in and go. Um, you know, I know the association has allowed for some leniency for football games to be played on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Could we see Iowa city West play a game on Saturday? 
um, the possibility is there. And Ames is another school district that they mm-hmm. had a two-week virtual, and they're back practicing now this week. They have a game against Centennial on Friday. Um, so as soon as they hit that 50% and they get the okay from the Department of Education, it sounds like they I, they are going to be good to go immediately. Now, in terms of drop-dead date, it's, it's very intriguing because the playoffs officially start, I believe, October 16th. And so you got to think, wow. um, you know, they need to be good to go that week. Um, in the case of 4A, it kind of depends on what the postseason is going to look like because there's only 40 teams in, in 4A, which means there's not going to be as many first-round playoff games that week. So if Roosevelt, for example, is in a position where they maybe don't play until the second round, that gives them an extra week of leeway. Um, that said, the association could pass something where you need to be ready to go the first week of the postseason because they haven't voted on this and it's not final yet. Um, so if they pass a rule like that and they're not ready to go that first week, on the off chance that they would need to play, then that could that could be a wrench that gets thrown into this situation too. So the I, you know the drop dead date is you know the October sixteenth, I would think. But um, when the association passed their postseason stuff here, and we should expect that probably within the next week or two, so we can find out for sure. Um, you know that could play into that formula as well. So it's there, there's a few things that are still up in the air right now. Um, but it, it sounds like they still have about three or four weeks to mm. maybe figure it out, or hopefully figure it out. I think. Cody, you saw Southeast Polk Valley. The Rams are playing at a high, high level. Just how good is this Rams team? And they're your number one. How clear are they between them and everybody else? I, I think they're the team to beat right now. I mean, you I, you got to see them. They've got playmakers all over that field. Um, there's there's not a throw. I don't think Jackson Daly, the quarterback, can cannot make. I mean, that, it, he was dropping dimes. I mean, that pass to Caleb Daniels in the quarter of the end zone. I, there was only one person that was going to catch that ball, and Caleb Daniels came down with it. I mean, that was a beauty of a throw. Um, tremendous offensive line. That was probably the more surprising thing about that game was that Southeast Polk's offensive line just beefed all the way across with Caden Proctor, Jake Moore, Caleb Runyon. Um, I mean, they probably averaged close to 300 pounds across those five dudes, and they just they dictated the line of scrimmage. Um, it was a really balanced attack that night. Two, I, I, you know, 400 total yards of offense, 200 passing, 200 rushing. Uh, that's a really good Southeast Polk team. The gap between them, um, between them and I think the rest, I, I don't want to say it's super sizable because there's, I don't think we know everything about all these teams yet. You know, Urbandale, um, a pretty charmed schedule to this point. They have a pretty tough challenge coming up Friday against Fort Dodge. Um, they've showed some mental toughness and they've also shown some, some explosivity, I suppose, with that week one win over Johnston and that, and that win's looking better and better the way Johnston's been playing lately. Um, you know, it seems like Dowling and Waukee and Ankeny are all kind of in that, you know, Unidome contender category. Um, but then, you know, Urbandale, Johnston, you know, what exactly do we make of them yet? Not 100% sure. Valley needs to kind of figure out that offensive line so that they can get their playmakers the ball. Um, I'd, I'd say a pretty good gap between Southeast Polk and the rest, but there, there's still a lot of ball left to be played, three regular season weeks, and then we all know that the playoffs, anything can happen, right? Well, and we're certainly crossing our fingers and hoping that Hoover and North and East and Roosevelt and Lincoln can play some of that football that remains. Cody Goodwin, thank you, Cody. Appreciate it, as always. Great to speak with you. Thanks for having me, guys. Good to talk to you, Cody Goodwin. Uh, from the Des Moines Register, they're going to get thumbs up. Yes, that's that's got to be from the governor, right? This is this because man, Tayhart's plans. Out it there. feels like there's so many bad looks all over the place, yeah. from the Bruce situation to this part. Mm-hmm. All right, plans in place. Let these kids play. They're still out there. They're working out. They're going to be good to go. Right. 
Don't it, take away their season. So if they year. were told today, all right, plans in place, you mm-hmm. guys are, could they play Friday? I believe so. And I was told that this was late last week about the Dowling Roosevelt game that was on the schedule. Still was a possibility at that point. Now that was late last week, and now we're already here on Tuesday. Be a quick turnaround. I mean, if you, if you got the thumbs mm-hmm. up now, a couple of days of practice, and you're going out there to play, but maybe. I would say more than likely, though, you're looking at a week from Friday if they would get that thumbs up. And how quickly will they get it from the Department of Education? If they would get it, probably a ways down the line still. Uh, does it feel like Dowling's streak is coming to an end? Premature <sighs> to say? They are such a different team when we get to October, November than what we see in September every single year. Be careful. And they put points up against Waukee. They scored 37. That was the concern with them. And they still can get in the backfield, and their defensive line is as good as you're going to find. That front seven's really, really good. They're good defensively. I don't know if they can win a shootout, but if they can ugly things up, yeah, they can still beat Southeast Polk and everybody else in front mm. of them. Where are you going Friday? Do you know yet? A uh, couple of games on the schedule. Haven't seen Urbandale yet. I want to see them. They uh, they bring in Fort Dodge, who's a high-powered offense themselves. I want to also see Waukee. Haven't seen the Warriors yet. They have Johnston. So a couple of the possibilities playing around and hopefully have that hammered out by tomorrow at the very latest. But we will certainly have a game of the week coming up here Friday night, 11 o'clock. And uh, three teams remaining undefeated, 4-0 and undefeated. Iowa City West is 2-0. and Southeast Polk, Urbandale, and Pleasant Valley for more than the Quad Cities. Mm. They get a step up in competition. They get Bettendorf this week, who was upset in week one, but just not a whole lot of remaining undefeated. It shows you the parity this year in 4A. Uh, Zuba Mahente from ESPN will join Trent and I next. We'll go around the world of sports. A little NBA conversation with Zubin. We've, boy, it's been, it's been hard. <laughs> yeah. That's how I am with the hockey. I just, can't get to it. Yeah. There's too much other stuff going on. I, I'm not complaining. Right. No, nor am I. I saw Anthony Davis's. I saw the final maybe four minutes of the basketball. Was it Sunday night? Yeah, yeah. Sunday night. I got about 30 seconds. You saw what? the right 30 I, seconds. I it did. was the last 30 seconds. That was that, unbelievable. And the block shot before oh, that by Trent. Murray. Yes. That's, Just because of what happened, of course, it's not getting... That was an incredible play from swiping mm-hmm. that from behind. Mm-hmm. It was a great defensive sequence. And then you put... Heartbreak. You put in Plumley. To guard the inbounder. And Jokic says, no, no, no. I got that. And he was lost. He didn't cover him. No, it was... Just, um, why don't you just just stay with Paul Millsap? It, it felt like that was the game. Didn't it? If, yeah. if, if we were going to have a series, the mm-hmm. game two had to go their way. That's how it felt. They got to win four out of five against yeah, good the Lakers. Luck. Good luck. And and uh, they'll have their first opportunity to do so tonight, right? They're back yes. in action? Yep. That's what I thought. All right, Miller and Condon. Uh, Zubin Mahente next. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO 107. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. Miller and Condon. On 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, this is KXNO. Number two, final half hour of the program here. It's 1130 on a Tuesday with Miller and Condon, 1460. KXNO and 106.3 FM. Time to talk to our friend Zubin Mahente, ESPN Radio. Mornings uh, with Jay Will and Keyshawn Johnson. And good morning to you, Zubin Mahente. Trent and Ken, thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm right here. I was telling Trent 
I'm out here by the water. I was trying to get as far away from traffic as I could since I'm talking to you guys outside. I listened earlier this morning. There's a lot of people that came between me and John Schaefer in the 15 years uh, that I've left, but I've only heard great things about him. So it's really cool to hear him on your uh, station this morning. Yeah, I know. He's, uh, he's a hard worker. There's no doubt about that. The guy is uh, he's trying to make an impact over there at WOI, and I, and I credit them uh, for doing that. Uh, Zubin, you work with Keyshawn Johnson. My assumption is is the injuries uh, in week number two of the NFL has been a, maybe not topic number A, but it's not very far down the list. What are the football voices and the football minds that you've had a chance to speak with since Sunday. What are they saying is behind this rash of injuries in week number two? I think the conventional wisdom is, and Keith kind of pushed back on this, because Keith's nephew is actually Michael Thomas. So that's actually one of the guys that has been impacted by this. He didn't play last night in the game in Las Vegas. But you mean Saquon Barkley? I talked to Key about it. He said, listen, this has nothing to do with preseason and injuries and reps and no OTAs and mini camps. It's so easy to blame it on that. But the reality is, you know, Saquon's foot got caught in the turf, and the reality is somebody hit Drew Locke in his throwing shoulder, and I don't think any of those things, I would agree with Keith, I don't think any of those things was avoidable or could have somehow been mitigated if there were some preseason reps out there. So I think it's really easy because of the rash. I think it's coincidental to go to the, well, there was no preseason. But if you look at each injury for what it was, I think you could rationally say that even if they had played all four preseason games or whatever they had played, even a modicum of preseason games, these injuries would have happened. So even if somebody like McCaffrey, where it's more lower leg, it's hamstring, it's ankle. So I think T's general thought has just been it's easy to blame it on the preseason, and nobody would probably give you pushback. But, you know, nobody, no matter how few or many reps that Drew Locke took, you take a shot to your AC joint on your throwing shoulder, it's not going to matter how many reps you got in the preseason or whether you're fresh. So I tend to agree with them. It's probably just really coincidental, but really bad that all these guys had it happen to them. Think about the 49ers. I mean, Oof. through a small quirk, through next Sunday, if we were to talk a week from today, the 49ers, believe it or not, will have played more games at MetLife Stadium than the Jets will have. If you think that, it's just a little crazy. But the idea that they are going to play, you know, again, at uh, MetLife Stadium after what happened on Sunday with Bosa and Garoppolo and Solomon Thomas uh, and already playing without guys like D. Ford and Richard Sherman and George Kittle and Debo Samuel. Uh, there's something to be said there. Clearly Shanahan was not happy with the turf, and he let it be known after the game. You mentioned the Jets. Adam Gase looks like dead man walking there. Dan Quinn after that collapse from Atlanta after barely surviving a year ago. Mike Zimmer, just to the north of us in Minnesota, he could be in trouble. Patricia in Detroit. It feels like already we're two weeks into this thing. Might be a lot of coaches walk, walking the plank by the time we get to Black Monday in the NFL. It's crazy. The one guy I would slightly disagree with is Zimmer, just because he got a you know a brand-new deal. And obviously, I mean, look, Cousins threw for, I think, a buck 13 on mm-hmm. Sunday. He has looked terrible. Uh, and I knew their secondary was going to be an issue. That's something people have been talking about all off season. I think Zim's going to be okay, though. Overall, his tenure has been really good. This is a terrible start, but with the new money, I think he's all right. To your point on Matt Patricia, he's now lost 11 straight games dating back to last year. I think the Lions lost their last nine last year. Obviously, they had the 14-3 lead on Green Bay. Couldn't hold it. Um, I do think Adam Gase is interesting because that's the one that's getting a lot of attention here. Uh, in New York, uh, he played... Uh, for the Jets, as you know, he was their number one overall pick nearly a quarter century ago in 1996. He actually thinks they're going to lose their first 10 games of the season. They have a stretch where they go Miami by Miami. So they get the Dolphins home and away, away and home with a bye in the middle. 
and he thinks by that point there could be some sort of change. Also important to keep in mind, general manager Joe Douglas, who came over from the Eagles pro personnel guy, did not hire Adam Gates. You can connect the dots there with the way things have gone mm. for Adam Gates. The one thing he's really hot on, and I agree with him, and other guys like Damian Woody have said this, when you're talking about trying to be more inclusive in the hiring process, I think Damian said last, also played for the Jets, Damian Woody, our analyst here, uh, that I see in New York from time to time. He said, look, if a guy like Adam Gates is getting two bites at the apple and Eric Bieniemy is getting none, <laughs> that just kind of goes to show you might be, what might be wrong with the hiring process. I mean, look, they had a chance to scout Gates in the division when he was Miami's coach, didn't do much of anything great there, and they still hired him. The one thing to keep in mind with Gates to me, this is just my opinion, he had a uh, less than two-minute press conference on Sunday, got angry, walked out. Um, he doesn't show any sort of leadership just from an aesthetic viewpoint. I don't know what's going on inside the Florham Park, New Jersey headquarters, obviously, but I would tell you this. Remember last year when Sam Darnold got the mono and then Le'Veon Bell was out? He went up to the podium, put his hands on either side of that lectern, had his green Jets ball cap on with his beard, and he just muttered. He didn't even look forward, look into the camera, talk to your fans, talk to the media, talk to your consumers, talk to your supporters. He just put his head down and said, number 14, mono. <laughs> number 26, injured, whatever Le'Veon's injury was. And it just looked like somebody had shot his dog. It just looked like, you know, it was just ridiculous. And he goes out there, doesn't even give his players names, just gives them numbers, talks about their affliction with no emotion, no energy, no passion, no empathy. I just think he's a bad leader. Again, I'm not here to question his X's and O's. He got the Peyton Manning seal of approval, that's for sure. But I just think from a leadership standpoint, when you look at him, he just doesn't feel like a guy that would engender a lot of support from a locker. Uh, Zubin, what do we make of the Arizona Cardinals? Uh, I don't think they're on Monday Night Football. Seemingly every year there's one team that kind of falls below, below the primetime radar. I'm positive they're not on Sunday Night Football. You know what? Let me st- I stand corrected. The Cardinals and the Cowboys play on MNF coming up here in the middle of next month. But what do, what do you make of this team? If they're in that, I mean, Seattle's not going anywhere. I still think San Fran, once they get a little bit more healthy, they bounce back. The Rams have been a good story so far. Are, are the Cardinals a fake? 2-0. I mean, they did beat the Niners on the road, so I'm not sure we can call them that. But what do you make of their start? It's funny. We actually had a segment this morning. There are two teams that are 11 teams that are 2-0, and and there are 11 teams that are 0-2. And we just did a sort of real, not real. A real 2-0 and or a real 0-2. Like a team that actually, like the Texans, they kind of feel like a real 0-2, right? They've caught some bad opponents at the start, but they don't feel terrible. And the most discussed team in the 11 uh, that were 2-0 and with the Cardinals. He doesn't think they're anything. He's actually not very high on Kyler Murray. I tend to agree with Ian a lot of things, not on that one. Uh, he doesn't tend to think Murray's going to be that great. But, look, they got Detroit, if I'm not mistaken, on Sunday. Yeah. So that's going to be 3-0. and So that's going to further buttress them. Great little story that Cliff Kingsbury said on a podcast. And this just goes to show you, I mean, I, I don't think he was being facetious. I think he was being serious, but you kind of understand where he's coming from. I'm sure you guys saw the draft. He's got this, like, sick, ridiculous house. Everybody did a virtual setup, and you saw his house. He said last year, you may recall with Kyler Murray, after he was infatuated with him in the Big 12, he said, look, we're going to draft Kyler, move Josh Rosen, and then we're going to get to a point where we're going to be totally vanilla in the preseason, and then we're just going to unleash people in the regular season. And, you know, this is like kind of a wet behind the ears, first-time NFL head coach. We're just going to play, you know, very vanilla, very straight, and then watch out week one. Well, they played the Lions week one, and they rallied to, uh, I think, tie the game at the end, last year, first game, week one. And Kingsbury said in a podcast the other day that uh, 
he actually had going through his mind when they could not move the football at all in the first half after telling everybody they were going to come out the league, you know, with a full bluster, a full head of steam. He said to himself on the sidelines, why in the world did I buy that house? Why in the <laughs> world did I buy that house? How much longer am I going to be here? Mm. Nothing is working at all. But I think the key with the Cardinals is, look, you know, you fired Steve Wilkes after a two-win season. Right now where we are with coaching and race, you don't want to fire an African-American coach that went 2-14, and 14, but that's exactly what the Cardinals did before people started looking a lot closer at this situation. So I think no matter what happens here, even if they were to come back down to earth, I think you got to ride this out with Kingsbury and Murray simply because this is the guy your head coach wanted. They shipped out a previous top 10 pick to get him in. So even if there's some stumbles along the way, I think you've got to stick with it. I'm more believer than anything at this point, and I think 3-0 and is easy. I looked at the rest of their schedule. 5-0 and doesn't seem out of the question as we talked about it this morning, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, and that's where I was going to go. Just uh, I don't want to make this all Arizona Cardinals, but week week three Lions, then at Panthers, at Jets, five and zero potentially. Trent, that would be uh, fun to see, and certainly a, a team off the radar always happens in the NFL. We've seen a lot of off the radar teams in college football teams we don't normally see. CBS in their national window had Appalachian State against Marshall. On and on and on. It'll be back in a bigger variety, certainly this week with the Big 12 back in action and the SEC. Zubin College Football as a whole, how important is it in your mind to get the Big 10 back up there to feel complete once we get to October 24th? I mean, look, I love college football as much as you two. I think it's fair to say, and look, I work at a company that loves college football. It's involved in college football as much as anybody. It's been really underwhelming the first few weeks. Like yeah. sitting there watching Clemson and Wake Forest, and maybe the receiver, we're all old enough to remember the nostalgia of Miami. And look, De'Ara King is a great story. Mm-hmm. His, you know, his uh, uh, mother died of cancer, his father recovering from cancer. It's an amazing story. He's 23. He's overcome a lot. He's transferred. I love those sorts of stories, and we do a really good job, I think, here of accentuating those people. But just sort of watching the first few weeks of the season, I was intrigued to see Notre Dame. It just hasn't been the same. So to get the SEC back on Saturday and then obviously get the Big Ten back and the fact that, you know, ACC games are being canceled, certain games aren't being played, the fact that if you go eight games in eight weeks and have a conference championship game, you're playing nine games, who knows? Maybe the other Power Five conferences, maybe they actually have to truncate to nine because of things that are happening. But here's why I think the emergence of the SEC is as important as anything else. And this is with all due respect to the other Power Five leagues. Somebody is going to finish seventh in the SEC West, right? And that might be Lane Giffen or Mike Lee, mm. and no matter if it's those two or somebody else, the seventh-place team in the SEC is going to be wildly entertaining, mostly because of their two head coaches. I mean, the, the odd cultural fit of Leach is just bizarre, but it's fascinating, and Kiffin being back in the SEC. There's no other league where if you're telling me you're battling for the bottom of a division, it's going to be interesting. I mean, trust me, I went to Rutgers, right? <laughs> I know what it's like to watch the bottom, so that's not interesting. The bottom of the ACC wouldn't be interesting. I have no idea if the Pac-12 can get their act together. But the bottom of the Pac-12 wouldn't be interesting at all, and I'm not sure anybody wants to talk about Kansas football right now at the bottom of the Big 12. But that's what separates the SEC. Even two teams, one of whom is likely, not guaranteed, likely going to finish in last place in that division. Maybe it's Arkansas. Who knows? But one of those teams that finishes near the bottom is just going to be a hell of a fun team to watch 
And that's just not something you can say about bottom feeders in the other Power Five leagues. No, the Egg Bowl is going to be appointment TV. Uh, no doubt about that. Zubin Mante is our guest. Zubin, our final couple of minutes here with you. Um, there's just there's just so much, right? Trent and I, as you know, are huge baseball fans. We can't turn it off. Football's back. College football is finally back this weekend with the SEC and with conference play in the Big 12. So it does uh, seem to ratchet up big time. But the NBA, look, I don't know if I could name two players on, on Miami, Zubin. Um, I certainly couldn't before this bubble experiment started, but yet here they are. I know Boston got him the other day. It seems like, you know, the Lakers are destined. The Nuggets needed to win game two. They didn't. But out east, we've got ourselves a hell of a series here, Zubin. No doubt. I mean, for us, storyline-wise, hopefully, I mean, look, I worked in Denver. I'm a Nuggets fan, but like to your point, LeBron's looking for his 10th trip to the NBA Finals, and it sets up. It's either going to be LeBron versus the Celtics, which would be the 13th time in the finals, a dozen times before Lakers-Celtics, the resumption of the greatest rivalry in basketball. So that would be great for ratings, whatever that means this year. The league's obviously taken a hit for a variety of reasons here. Or it could be LeBron versus his old team, LeBron versus Riley. That would be a great little angle as well. We're probably going to get one of those two unless Denver shocks the world. Denver's never beaten the Lakers in a playoff series ever. I don't think it's going to start now. But to your point on Miami, we had a piece on them last week on the Heat culture on Sports Center in the early evening. What makes them different is when the Lakers rebuild, they said, look, we haven't been to the conference finals in nine years, longest stretch in franchise history. We're just going to get LeBron. We're going to trade for AD. We're the Lakers. People want to be here. The Nuggets are the exact opposite. No big free agents want to sign with them, so they have to draft Carmelo Anthony, draft Nikola Jokic, hope for the best. You know, Anthony was a top three pick. Jokic was a second rounder. You draft, develop, you hope they don't leave in free agency. Boston, same deal. They can pull off some great trades. Ainge has been amazing. What separates the Heat is they're a mix of all three teams, right? So they can get your A-list superstar like the Lakers. You get LeBron and AD. They'll go get Jimmy Butler. Guys want to play in Miami. You have to be willing to play with the intensity of Riley, but clearly Butler has that. They found Duncan Robinson, who you guys might remember, started his career in D3, at Williams College in Massachusetts, then went to Michigan, played in the Final Four, where you might remember him. So they're great at finding unknown guys like Duncan Robinson. They're not afraid to make mistakes. They signed Hassan Whiteside to a deal that I think was worth $94 million. He was lazy, terrible, didn't fit the Riley MO. They did what most teams won't do. They said, we made a mistake, gone. Shipped him to Portland, our bad. We're going to admit it, we're going to move on. Look at a guy like Hendrick Nunn, all rookie teams. All the attention this year is on John Moran and Zion Williamson for obvious reasons. But this kid was a top-five rookie, in my opinion, in the league. So when you can grab guys via free agency because it's an attractive place to live and to play and to win, you can find diamonds in the rough like Robinson. You can find guys in the draft like Kendrick Nunn out of Florida State. It's the best of all worlds, and I think they have that going for them. Every other team is winning one way predominantly. This team is building the roster in a way that I don't think very many teams in the NBA could. And you got to give it up to Coach Bolstra and, of course, Pat Riley. Zubin, a, a personal question here for you. We know you're a Rutgers alum. Uh, you grew up in Jersey. What are the teams you grew up rooting for? Because I was thinking about it. If you're you know, a Knicks fan, Jets and Giants Yeesh. are awful. Yeah, it's got to be rough being a sports fan in your world right now, at least rooting for teams. Yeah, I would tell you, obviously I'm a Rutgers fan before and after anything else. That's my number one far and away. The way it kind of works, it's not exclusive out here. But you will find, percentage-wise, if you do an unofficial poll, that most of the time, Jets fans are Mets fans, okay. and Yankee fans are Giant fans. Now, I wouldn't say that across the board. If you happen to meet one that's cross-pollinated uh, the other way, 
But I would tell you, there's an especial level of misery if you're in that Jets men's club. And that is an absolute torture combination. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, this is not a joke. They were talking about this in New York the other day. Steve Cohen buying the Mets was one of the greatest things that's happened to the franchise in 20 years. Now, look, I know they've gone to the World Series. Yeah. It's been over 30 since they won it with Doc and company. But the fact that this guy literally bought the team as a gigantic hedge fund manager, humongous, huge, hugely rich guy. Uh, they bought the team, grew up rooting for them, was a Mets fan as a kid. Uh, the Mets have been stung hard by Bernie Madoff in the Ponzi scheme. And the Jets, I mean, look, I mean, we can't go through a day here in the air in New York where Gase isn't compared to Rich Kotite, one of the worst <laughs> coaches in modern NFL history. So this is just a day-in, day-out thing here uh, in New York, and people are fretting about the Yankees. They're worried about the Mets, the Giants, and the Jets are a disaster. At least the Islanders exceeded expectations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ken, they had a nice little run. They did. But that's not going to carry the water here. Uh, in New York. So I would say if you're a Jet fan or a Met fan, and there's a lot of those people out here, uh, you think New Yorkers are rude by nature, don't don't, <laughs> don't run into them the day after one of those two. Zubin Mahente from ESPN. Zubin, thank you. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Have a great week, Zubin. You too, guys. Thanks. Good to talk to you, Zubin Mahente, uh, as we go around the world of sports with our friend Zubin. All right, take a time. I'll come back and finish things up. Mr. Monday Night put one in the win column this time yesterday. I got a couple of plays for tonight, too. You do. I do. Baseball. Yes. Basketball? Nope. Just bases. All right, we'll find out that next. Miller and Condon, final short segment next. 1460 KX in 010 sales. Hello out there. We're on the air. It's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. Found the it. goalie jumps and yeah, the players late, bump and the fans all go insane. That's what it is the uh, bump we were looking for when we did a hockey segment. Stomping Tom Connors. Legendary. Is the best game you can name. So this, you just listen to this on the record player over and over and over. <laughs> All right, the uh, final couple of minutes here of a Tuesday edition. David Kaplan will join us tomorrow on those undefeated Chicago Bears and the Cubs and the White Sox as well. Looking forward to that segment tomorrow with Cappy as we do each and every week. Centurion Stone of Iowa sponsors. All right, Trent. Yes. You teased us going into the last break. You thought you had a couple of plays. Who are you looking to? I'm uh, going to grab a dog tonight. Brewers at the Reds. Brewers with Anderson on the bump, who's been okay this year. He's nothing great. Big spot for both teams. Yes, absolutely. Fighting for the playoff lives. And when you get plus 150, and that's what you get with the Brewers, I think that's too good of a number to say no to. The other thing that I... Sonny Gray? Yeah, yes, yes, Sonny Gray for the Reds. The other thing that jumped out to me was there's a lot of big favorites tonight. Huge favorites. Uh, they just announced Homer Bailey's going to get the start for the Twins. They're like minus 210 uh, against the god-awful Tigers. Still didn't love that. A guy that hasn't pitched in a month right. and laying that kind of price. But I parlayed three teams, just money line, to win together. I took the Dodgers with May on the bump. took the Padres against the Angels and the Yankees with Garrett Cole. You add those up, those three, just money line, no run line, anything like that. Plus 275. Well, you've got to feel pretty good about those three guys you've I got. I, I feel really good about that. I really like the price that comes along with it. So. And the Yankees got spanked last night by the yep. Blue Jays. I don't anticipate yeah, them don't losing so two either. in a row. That's where I'm going to. I like your three-team play better than going against Sonny Gray. It is tough going against Sonny yeah. Gray. Boy, he's been that, that red staff, if they get mm-hmm. in. I'm with you. And it's the Dodgers with all the playoff right. demons that they have. That's a great point. Very well could be Kershaw pitching game three. 
if it would get to a game oh. three, can you imagine the angst? Obviously, not in the stands, but just within that fan base, mm-hmm. going into that with mm-hmm. that guy and his. And they go to down to Texas. Where does the American League go? Well, the first round, the wild card round, if you will, one yeah. eight two seven. Yeah. Those games will be played in the top seeds home ballpark. Then after then that, after that. National League goes the, to Texas, American League goes to California. Okay, because the teams are now. I, I learned this watching the Cubs last night. The teams right now are in quarantine protocol. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. I mean, the Cubbies don't go home after the game. They go mm-hmm. to a hotel. Um, and, even as early as right now. And family members, too, had they decided that? That was a back and forth. It was, and I never saw confirmation. I don't think I did either, but I know that the, um, I think the Shea said this last night, that the single guys for sure are mm-hmm. already in quarantine as of last night, I think, was the beginning of that. So Makes sense. They are taking it very seriously. They want to get these postseason in, so do we. Uh, NFL, no positive cases out of all the players. Wow, Every player tested. Good. This is including the guys that traveled in week one, everybody that went on the road. That's what is included in this latest round of testing. Great news from the NFL. Indeed. There's not so great news out of Notre Dame, South Bend. They've got four positives. They've stopped practicing. They're gaming with Wake Forest, apparently, now up in the air for this weekend. Stomping Tom Connors. <laughs> well, Play it again. New. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it. Thanks for uh, being with us here today. Murph and Andy coming up at 2, the Fanatics at 4. Uh, Morning Rush will be back on the airwaves tomorrow morning at 6. We're Miller and Condon, weekdays 10 to noon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.